one of the things that we do in music therapy is called entrainment. Entrainment is a physics phenomenon. Any any two oscillating vibrations in the world will match up if they are in close enough proximity. They'll resonate with each other. So if you if you hung um, multiple uh, clocks with pendulums in this room and you left them here in the morning, they would all be swinging together. The pendulums would all be swinging together. Um, if you put metronomes on, they would all match up. When we walk next to someone for a given length of time, we start walking on beat with them. So that's that's this phenomenon of entrainment. There, we're, we are connected um, in our world. Hello and welcome to The Sacred Speaks. I'm John Price. And today's participant, Jennifer Townsend, the, this conversation is one example of part of the organic flow of this project. Rodney Waters, a, a participant in the project and a friend, had recommended that I speak with Jennifer. And she bravely just <laughs> said yes. And uh and we emailed a few times. I, I got her office address. I showed up. And in the amount of time it took for me to set up my equipment, we talked about what we were going to talk about. And then we got started. So that's a lot of fun for me to be able to have such a kind of spontaneous and unplanned exploration of a subject matter that really means a lot to me. So this is co the collision of music and therapy. And even as a, as a therapist and a musician, I uh, I sat there for a long time, probably with my mouth a little <laughs> too wide open, just looking at Jennifer, just with my mind blown because the things she was saying was, I I was shocked that music therapy is not used in in more of a, uh, a ubiquitous way. I, I, some of the 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 realities of the the possibility and potential of music therapy and therapeutic music needs to be out there more. Uh, you'll see in a, in a bit when Jennifer gets going, but it, it's, it's really amazing and, and made sense intuitively because on some level we all, uh, most of us each and every day have music in our lives, but it's such a, a kind of mundane component of life that we don't recognize that if, if we really attend to it, things, music itself kind of cracks open and our relationship to um, to music can can really transform in a powerful way and I I hope maybe a, that that changes in you just a little bit after listening to this conversation it, it's helped me a lot so I don't I don't have much to go into for this uh, intro piece although I want to introduce you to Jennifer and then make a couple of notes about the music and the podcast but so we'll start there I'll, I'll introduce you to uh, to the, today's participant. Jennifer Townsend is the program manager for music therapy at Houston Methodist. She's she's the 
manager of a wonderful program that Methodist has going on called um, the Center for Performing Arts in, in Medicine. And in this capacity, she's overseen the growth of music therapy across the system of Houston Methodist hospitals. She's led research initiatives in music therapy and music medicine. And she provides clinical supervision to the Houston Medical, excuse me, Houston Methodist Creative Arts Therapy team of eight. She's published articles on technology and music therapy, music therapy and epilepsy treatment, music therapy and NICU, and published a chapter of Medically Fragile Children and Guidelines for Music Therapy Practices and Pediatrics. And I'm just excited to, uh, to bring what she has to say um, out there, more out there, I guess. Um, and I know she's, she's certainly helped me and my relationship to music open up a bit. So thank you, Jennifer. And if you want to reach Jennifer, she gave a couple of websites I want to note, musictherapy.org and cbmt.org. Both of these, she's, she's a big advocate for music therapy, and she wanted to kind of help people know more about what music therapy does. And if anybody's interested in certification in music therapy, go to cbmt.org. Okay, the music... Grace Kali is the group that I'm, I'm bringing to you today. A friend of mine, Christian Williams, is the singer and songwriter, and uh, she co-writes with David Reinstein. Uh, you can look them up at gracekali.com, G-R-A-C-E-K-A-L-I.com. And it just so happened that I, was, I knew I'd be talking to Jennifer on music therapy, Around the time in, in the, the newest release, one of the newest releases from Grace Kali showed up and a song, I'm Sorry, um, it, it, it clicked in what I'm doing on this episode, which is showing how music and the expression of music shows in the kind of you know, outer world a lot of creativity that goes on in the inner world and and, and certainly the transformation of something very difficult and, um, you know, a lot of the, the music we listen to are these, uh, from, from longing and love to, um, to hurt and exploring hurt, where the songwriter explores their hurt and, and participates in an alchemical transformation of, you know, moving that hurt into something beautiful that other people can relate to. And it, it, it's bonding, and to say the least, but it's powerfully transformative, or and it's powerfully transformative. Uh, so it, it, this is uh, one of those really nice moments where I get to bring these, you know, the music, and it happens to be that I'm talking to a music therapist. So Grace Kali, and they've, they've been, uh, they've got a couple of songs out. I'm assuming they're going to be bringing out some more, but... I'm I'm pleased to be able to uh, to bring this particular song to this episode. Okay, what else? Oh, I um, uh, one thing I want to note: another kind of interesting circumstance is that at the Young Center at younghouston.org, J-U-N-G Houston.org, a friend Chris Becker is uh, is, is leading a class this weekend on November third and. I want to be able to, um, let's see, I want to find, yeah, 
the, it, so if you're interested in learning more about music therapy, I'm, I'm very curious what Chris Becker and his co-teacher Enrico Carreri is, they're, they're teaching about. It's music therapy in the avant-garde. Just a small snippet here. Um, is there a place for avant-garde music in the field of music therapy? Can the unpredictable rhythms and atonal melodies and seemingly chaotic music of maverick composers like John Cage and Pauline Oliveros help patients safely explore their emotions and develop their cognitive and interpersonal skills? Uh, this, this would be a, a really great class. The Young Center is streaming their classes too, so even if you miss the November 3rd date, you can get online at younghouston.org and pay a bit of money. I think it's like $15 or $20 for this class, and you can stream it wherever you are. So if this conversation that I'm presenting today with Jennifer is of any interest and kind of stirs the pot, you can continue it on by taking this class. The theme music for the podcast is Modern Nations. You can get them at modernnationsmusic.com. The podcast project, you can learn more at the Sacred Speaks. Dot com. That's thesacredspeaks.com. I try to keep up to date, and on the website you'll find not only information about the project, you'll find uh, all the episodes, you'll find all the music I use. Uh, I include music videos and press on the various artists, and, um, and you can email me there. So if you have any thoughts or questions, please email. Um, I think it's john at thesacredspeaks.com. That's it. So I'm excited to bring you this conversation. Today, we'll leave it there. And, uh, and next week, I'll be posting a conversation with Dr. Rachel Harris, who's written a book called Listening to Ayahuasca. We explore um, altered states of consciousness and its effectiveness, in particular with uh, PTSD, depression, and anxiety. So we'll leave it there. Thank you for listening. Consider the buttons clicked. All right, so let's get started. Thank you. Thank you very much yeah. for. Uh, if it's the um, it's a series of episodes for me, where I haven't spent any time at all, and you know we didn't we didn't lay any groundwork for this. <laughs> sure. <laughs> which, which quite frankly, I I really like a lot. I think there's something to be said about spontaneity and, um, you know, creativity kind of in the moment, you know, there's, there's something really powerful about that. So, um, the, the meandering nature of our conversations genuine. And so is the, uh, the, the excitement about the subject matter. Um, I'm, I'm curious where you would want to start the conversation. I can, you know, as we were saying a bit earlier, I think there's some theoretical components I'd like to get into, um, kind of deeper aspects of, of music theory and how, um, how it has been kind of used as a, a healing modality in, in the medical world, um, certainly the arts. Um, but then there are, there are kind of a lot of undiscovered components right. of, uh, for me, <laughs> about what music therapy is. And for the world. And for the world, sure, <laughs> sure. <laughs> What is that stuff? Music therapy. It's the most common question I yeah, get. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, because the, the question that I had in 
I was working over this morning is there's, you know, music is therapeutic, but we're talking about music therapy, which are two similar and different things. Right. Um, So I want to, I want to kind of get into the applied component with regard to folks that you see and work with. Mm -hmm. Certainly um, stories you've encountered. I I think that's always very interesting Um, as far as to help people understand. And, I'll kind of let you be the guide a little bit. I don't know, you know, if this begins with your personal narrative or if, you know, you share kind of some of the fundamentals of it and we back into your personal narrative. Sure. Where, where yeah. does it begin for you? I, I think it's easiest to, to give an, a more formal definition of music therapy, if you will, for sure. people, um, because it gives them something to sort of um, simmer on. I guess it's not an easy concept to just like at first glance, it's an easy concept to be like music <laughs> therapy. Yeah, of course. Music is totally therapeutic. And of course, you can use it as therapy. Yeah. Um, but then when you think about it and you hear the definition of it, you start to go, wait, what? Wait, I I, what I say, that? wait, what? I'm a musician and a therapist and I'm going, what? Like, yeah. <laughs> I, not again, not that I it's any reach for me to understand how music is therapeutic on its own and also there's a therapeutic component to being a music therapist right but i'm i'm really curious about how these things come together yeah yeah uh, just so i can set the table i mean your office is covered up by a lot of instruments i'm sitting about eight inches from a from a keyboard yeah um so so start there let's define it and uh yeah and get deep yeah so my i i tend to um use the the definition by Ken Bruscia. So there are a few definitions of music therapy. They're all pretty similar, um, but I'll tell you the component that I think is 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 valuable from Ken Bruscia's definition, and it is that everything happens within the therapeutic relationship. So music therapy is the use of the music as a modality to achieve psychological, neurological, physiological health within the setting of a therapeutic relationship. Mm-hmm. And that that defines music therapy versus therapeutic music or music medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, it, they're they're separate. They they pull from each other. They certainly influence each other, but they're separate. And what separates them is the therapeutic relationship. Well, could could you go into those for a second too? Sure. Yeah. So, um, you know. When I def- define, and this is a growing field, th- these definitions are, are really formulating right now. I mean, they're, they're really getting stronger. Music therapy has been defined for 70 years-ish, um, like officially as a profession. We're mm-hmm. 75 years old. But, but these other areas of, of music um, being used in, in a healthcare setting are really starting to grow their own legs and, and define themselves, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, so therapeutic music is, um, is, we refer to it here as like arts integration. The use of music to um, provide an environment of care. So the music that's performed in our lobby at our hospital is not the same music that you would perform in your recital hall. Because at any given moment in our lobby, people are coming in to either say their last goodbyes while and they're passing a woman who's leaving holding her brand newborn baby right going home for the first time so the emotion that's that is contained in the atmosphere of the entry of the hospital 
is way different than the emotion that is contained in the recital hall where people have chosen to come and hear this music tonight. They know what's on the program. Um, it, it's expected, right? Um, and so so therapeutic music is is how do we look at music and bring some of its therapeutic value to the right situation at the right time? How are we aware of that? Music medicine is the application of prescriptive music for health. So we hear studies about music listening. Um, we hear studies about, you know, the, the use of music for pre, preoperative anxiety. And the nurse had the music, the, the patient listen to 30 minutes of Mozart before their surgery. This is music medicine. There's no therapeutic relationship there that is based in the music. The music is not based in the in the relationship. It didn't come out of us talking and looking at your music biography and thinking about where music has been in your life and and how which songs relate to your negative experiences and which songs relate to your positive experiences. They're not looking at um they they might be looking at the neurologic impact. You know, they might do an fMRI and say what's happening in your brain, but they're not applying that to um, recovery based on this relationship that we have. Mm -hmm. So that's a, a music medicine, and then there's therapeutic music, and then there's music therapy. Mm -hmm. It's kind of these this triangle of of three. I, just worlds. a seed to plant. I was really interested then at um, Mozart. You think Mozart had any idea that he would be the the kind of reference, right. you know, like whether it's studying or, you know, calming or, you know, pre-op, you know, Mozart is kind of the go-to name. That's right. Yeah. So there, there's got to be something about that music in particular that's not just some association with a, a period or a kind of music. There's something deeper that's happening in, in that, you know, kind, kind of, you know, kind of music. Right. So right. I, I think if, if we could plant that seed to circle into or go into later, why you know why is that why why are there certain you know why when i play i don't know some kind of uh believe me i do it all the time I, i've learned my choice of music isn't i can shut down a party really quickly you know because I, <laughs> I choose music that's either too soft or way too loud but you know my my wife will come into um, the room when i'm playing music with my kids and she's like ah oh, god turn turn that turn that off that's so chaotic and and I don't think so, you know, but yeah. she does. She's having a very different experience. So I want to kind of go into that if we can sure. eventually. Yeah. But yeah. let's so let's go further down the music therapy trail for a sec. Yeah. We're, we're talking about defining music therapy. And so maybe maybe it's helpful to look at sort of the history of music therapy. So music therapy, um, we as, as music therapists trace our roots back to um, Massachusetts, a, a veterans hospital just after World War One and Two, both. There was a group of nurses who were also musicians. They just randomly started bringing their instruments in with the soldiers to play, mostly out of boredom. But they realized that the soldiers that would participate in the music with them were healing better. They were getting better faster. They were getting discharged. They were what we would call PTSD now. They were having less of it. And so these nurses went to the physicians, the attendings, and said, we want to study this. And so therein lies like the first music therapy study, what we call the first music therapy study. Out of that study grew the field of music therapy 
in Massachusetts, we, a few years later, had our first music therapy degree, degree plan. Um, and, and from there, we've grown to, we have about 75 schools that offer degrees in music therapy. So to be a music therapist, you do have to get a degree in music therapy, bachelor's, master's, or PhD. Um, you complete 1,200 hours of supervised clinical work. Mm-hmm. And then you can sit for your board certification exam. So it is considered an allied health profession that is nationally board certified. Some states in the U.S. have licensure in addition to the board certification. Texas doesn't. Um, But we're working on it. I have a lot of thoughts about that. We'll see where that goes. (laughs) So, so, you know, as a profession, we started in the social sciences. That's it was all about, like, there's something in quality of life here that's happening that's making people heal. Well, about 15, 20 years ago, neurosciences started getting really interested in music and like, what is this phenomenon of music and the brain and what's happening here? And so, so a lot of neuroscientists started researching music. Well, we became the translational medicine piece of that, right? So the, the neurologist is saying, hey, I'm doing this fMRI during this person's um, listening to music, and I'm realizing that the motor cortex is so active when the rhythms are straight. There's some connection there in processing that we didn't think about before, that that auditory processing would light up the motor cortex. What's that about, right? Well, as a music therapist, then I'm like, oh, well – I'm working with my rehabilitation patient who has a brain injury and is trying to relearn to walk. How, how then as a music therapist, am I going to light up the motor cortex so that their gait gets better? So I'm going to play their music with a straight rhythm. We almost need to define that though. I mean, um, just for anybody that is, uh, I want to know, but also I know certainly as a musician, there's a lot of things I don't want to, take for granted that that I don't want to um, sweep over anything and make assumptions about what people may or may not understand. Sure. What's rhythm and what's that all about? Right. So when we talk about rhythm, we're talking about, um, I like to call it like the groove of the music. Like what is it that you're going to dance to? That's the rhythm mm-hmm. um, that's, that's happening in the music. But we're looking at the beat, the beat. The drums is often the rhythm, mm-hmm. um, so that's an easy way for people to make that connection. Um, although the rhythm could be in another m- instrument, which is easiest for people to kind of recognize it in the drums. Sure, it's what you tap your foot to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, what other, um, um, as we go, uh, any other things to define? I'm, I'm curious if we need to define, I mean, harmony. Yeah, so we'll talk... Um, Certainly harmony, dissonance is a, a, a role. The characters of music, the characteristics of music are, are certainly utilized by the music therapist um, within the sessions for a variety of things. So dissonance is when chords are clashing. Um, and so y- you can think about that as a tension builder, um, whereas a harmony would, would be when chords are sounding pretty together and might be a tension releaser. From a, from a music therapist standpoint, but also just from listening to music. In Western music, we we focus around the tonic or the, the basic tone of the scale, right? Everything comes back to this one, 
this one tone that makes us feel safe and secure and grounded in that piece of music. Um, and so when we when we think about uh, those characteristics of music, when we're performing them, there's a natural there's a natural feel to to what what happens, right? Like we get excited at the climax and we come back down and then there's a slow song and we're kind of content or maybe even a little sad or, you know, however we connect to it. Um, And those are just natural uh, emotional responses in the music. Composers have rules around music that they either follow or choose to not follow to create music, right? New music and and new styles and new things. Um, But there are all these theory rules, you know, your, your four or five cadence at the end of your song, these chord structures that we talk about um, mean something. They, are, they have these leading tones in them where we feel the resolution before the resolution happens, mm-hmm. right? So there's a neurologic component to that as well. Our brain wants to resolve it. And that's, is there something innate to these patterns? Like, yes. okay, good. So, uh, you know, because so so much we could we could say that there's something socialized. Like there's yeah. the, there's the socialized theory where we just heard it so much that that's what we're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. But then there's something as uh, kind of from a I guess a Jungian perspective. We talk about archetype. Is yeah. is there an archetype of music that there is an innate pattern that we're actually seeking in in the music that we listen to? And you sure. th- you say yes. I I think th- there is. You know, we we haven't we don't have proof of it, right? <laughs> there's there's no proof that that music sure. is innate to us. But if we look at many different scientific fields, we see that music existed and has existed in culture and in people, in cavemen. In I mean, it's been around. There's some reason music is something powerful for the human person. Um, it's needed. Right. I mean, many, many um, um, anthropologists believe that the flute was played before we spoke. A bone flute has been found from like way years ago. I don't know the dates or mm-hmm. anything like that, but I've heard these <clears throat> talks, you know, and these these people say, you know, it's possible that that the bone flute was played before we really communicated verbally drums beating on things mm-hmm. that that's a way to get somebody's attention real fast way farther away from you than yelling so it makes sense that maybe we were using these things in these social settings to communicate or that that had musical characteristics even if they weren't music as we define it now um but all all cultures have music yeah it's i, I guess there it's a there we we produce and seek out sound and then there's something that organizes those sounds into some form right. that uh, what you're saying obviously is a biological effect yeah and certainly a synthesizing effect with regard to you know what you're talking about this patient who's able to work on his gait yeah. because of the beat that you're working with and go on well and also i mean just just thinking about so my my background, I worked 12 years in pediatrics, music therapy and mm-hmm. pediatrics. Now I'm in this adult world, which is a whole nother story. But um, we'll get into it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I worked in the NICU and rhythm 
steady beats brings so much homeostasis to those babies. Yeah. And if you think about it, they just spent nine months in their mother's womb, and at 16 weeks, we can fully hear our mother's heartbeat. So we heard that heart beating at, I don't know, 80 beats per minute-ish, right? I mean, sure, it fluctuated some, but at a resting state most of the time, this is what we heard. It's what our body, you know, I mean, we're, it's ingrained in us, yeah. the rhythm of life, like the true rhythm of life. We heard the heart beating. We heard the blood gushing. We heard, you know, our mother's voice. We heard and and her her melody within her voice and in how she spoke. Whether whether she was from a Western culture or an Eastern culture, we're grounded in what happens there, right? And so all of all of those things, there there is something innate about it. But on the on the other side, talking about biology, biology, our body is most efficient when it's in sync with itself. So when when we have AFib, when our heart starts beating too fast, our body starts freaking out, right? It it can't handle it. And so then we have blood pressure issues and then we have all of these things. But when our when our heart rate is at the right speed and our respiratory rate is at the right speed, suddenly our body becomes most efficient. That's when we can get our nutrients and and start digesting it and getting it sent to the right parts of our body and all of these things we need rhythm to maintain our life in its most efficient optimized form uh, i got so i mean my head's exploding it, it it's true the thought i have this phrase it's like the melody of of living you know like I love that. There certainly is a melody to walking my pace. Yeah. You know, my <clears throat> speech. Yeah, and, and those all mean something. I mean, if I raise my voice, whether it's in volume or tone or intonation or this the staccato, you know, all those things communicate something to you and you'll yeah. have an unconscious response to how I'm expressing myself. Right. That, yeah, I mean, I, I, maybe that's simple, but that's blowing my mind. I love that. But but that's the basis within you bring that into a therapy setting, Yeah. right? So that's the basis of music therapy is all of those pieces of music that define us, that make us optimal, that, that can grow us, can build awareness within ourselves. And then we bring that into the therapy session. All right, I'm sold. You know, I, I think that's a, it certainly makes a hell of a lot of sense to me that that's, that speaks to deeper parts of us. So the, I was thinking about dolphins and whales and birds and, yeah. uh, you know, how, how sound and that is, is such an interwoven part of the world. Um, and I get part part of my interest in all this stuff is that so often we try to get above that and get mm -hmm. out of it, and it's almost like the the music kind of brings us back into a way of being that's more. Uh, this is probably played out phrase, but more in harmony with, yeah, with kind of our. Mm -hmm. um, it's hard not to speak poetically, you know, our essence, our, um, uh, you know, s s our, yeah, I like our essence. Yeah, um, it's almost like a return. Uh, I, I listened I, I, this uh, when my daughter was born. Um, we listened to Bob Marley the entire 
time in the mm-hmm. birthing room. We just turned it on and had this one album on repeat. And the the energy in the room was just like this, you know, that, yeah. that reggae beat was yeah. so good for, and you notice that every, there were like eight people in this room, you know, everybody's kind of working to that beat and they're all yeah. in sync and it was yeah. beautiful to see. So just personally, that's the, the ones, I mean, music has been such a big part of my life. That's one of the stories that comes out that right. that did stuff to everybody in that room. And, uh, so much so that we, we you know, we named our daughter, uh, middle name is Marley. Nice. <laughs> so, but, and plus I can listen to Bob Marley any day, any week. Sure. Um, okay. Yeah. I'm sold. So where does this go next? What, what happens? Like we, we what tending do we need to do? Cause I, I'm curious about the neurological component. Yeah. I'm curious about your history. I, I, I have a, I'm overwhelmed, right? I've got too many options. So you've got to lead us for a little bit. Oh gosh. I, I'm on the hot seat. <laughs> um, where do we go next? Um, so we've talked about the history of music therapy. We've defined music therapy. We've kind of talked about some of these innate beliefs yeah. in, in music therapy. Um, and, and that that's what grows the field. We've talked about what, what you have to actually do to be a music therapist right. uh, in the U.S. Um, so, so maybe we dive into just like the day in, day out work well, of it. Let me, is that so I'm too, pull is back it my now. jumping? No, like jumping tell me, t- uh, what about you? So th- I think a little more personal component is okay. your, your story and also your kind of, kind of what you've seen, you know, sure. like, because like, yeah. I don't know, you know, we tend to do these, we get into these professions and then you know, we kind of go through the grind and do all of our work and we're certainly really interested. And then we have these moments that are like these confirmation or affirmation of yeah. like, oh my gosh, like that just happened, you know? Yeah. And, and it, it, it's, it's like a little kiss from the universe that says, yeah, you're on this, you're, <laughs> you're on the right path here, this. you know? Yeah. yeah. So I, let's okay. go that route. So, uh, I'm, I'm really, really lucky. And, and I know this because most people don't find their, their passion. I mean, some people never find their passion in their work, right? Yeah. I mean, they just like live out their work because they got to make money because they got to pay for things sure. but but they're it's not what they love right um many of my colleagues my music therapy colleagues this is their second career you know like they came to it later they learned about it later i'm really really lucky at a really great high school guidance counselor and um in high school i thought i wanted to be a, a studio musician i wanted to like play for the disney orchestra that was my thing i was going to be a woodwinds player right awesome. i was totally set on that i was definitely not talented enough to do it so had i even <laughs> attempted it would going to be a disney rock been, star that's, that's going to you know that's what i thought um, and i went to school in in waxhatchee texas i went to high school in waxhatchee texas which is near plano and um, i don't know if you remember back in the 80s there was a, a a grouping of, they called it the Plano Suicides. So a bunch of high schoolers, I think it was 13, um, the, the copycat phenomenon mm. um, died by suicide. And that translated to other high schools around. So even a couple of years later in my high school, my, um, my boyfriend died by suicide. And then a dear friend of ours also died by suicide that same year. And we ended up losing three students that year to suicide and um of course it rocked my world as you know a junior in high school um and this was 
all very surprising and, and new. And I had never really, I had never experienced these these kinds of thoughts, even um, these you know any suicidal thoughts or anything like that. And so it was it was a lot for me to to take in, but I felt drawn to um, doing something. Like my ambition grew out of it. Um, and so I, I, in some of the counseling sessions that they were holding, I, I talked to my guidance counselor and I was like, we need something where students can talk to students. Like students don't want to come talk to the yeah. teacher, the counselor, whatever, you know, like right. they maybe would feel more comfortable talking to students, even if they knew that the student was going to have to tell the counselor anyway. They right. just would feel more comfortable. And so she started looking into it and there were actually programs that did this that like trained students to be mentored by the high school guidance counselor to do these peer I did one in high school. Yeah. SAP so, student assistant program or yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we set this up at my high school and we called it the care team. And um for one period, I think it was twice a week, I sat in the counselor's office. And there was a group of people, right? There were other students that had different periods. And people, you, it was just known that, hey, there was a student in the in the office that you could come and talk to during this hour. Um, and so, and, and we did that my entire senior year. I also, during that time, if there wasn't students, I had to be doing projects, right? Because I was in school. So I had to get a grade for this. So it was in independent studies. Well, I then was having, you know, I was trying to apply for college and, all these things and I was like what am I doing like I don't want to play in a symphony orchestra somewhere like I want to help people I don't want to give up music but I want to help people and my high school guidance counselor said well you know there's this thing called music therapy maybe you should look into it so I did this independent studies um, on on music therapy I just researched it learned about it I went down to Sam Houston State and interviewed the music therapy professor and presented this to Brilliant. you know my my class in high school my classmates in high school and and I was sold on it already I was like this is what I'm doing I'm this is what I'm applying for what, what did it what was the was it just like it, uh, was it, it your idea of the combination of music and therapy it was yeah. you know it was really just that hey this is there's a whole program that's going to teach me how to use music in therapy and that's exactly what I was just saying I wanted to do you know. Like, I didn't want to give up music, but I also wanted to do something different. I wanted to connect with people. I had I had gained some experiences in this peer mentor thing, which was mostly students talking about a breakup. You yeah. know, like mostly it was other girls coming in devastation of the, the breakup, right? You put the brakes on if you need to. Yeah. Here, but- I'm I'm just curious at a young age when you're grieving and confused and uh, I I don't I can't imagine you know with somebody you care about who's just committed suicide and you've got people coming to you and talking to you about breakups. Yeah. So it was inter- so I, my dad was in the army so I grew up in a military family. Um and and there was a, a little bit of a sense of like, okay, it's been four months, get over it. Like, yeah, we're moving on, you know? Um, but but I had this high school guidance counselor who, who was, 
I mean, I was very connected with. She was mentoring me. She was, you know, counseling me. Mm-hmm. It was it was a good relationship. But in that relationship, I was able to say like, okay, yes, for me right now, this is the hardest thing I've ever dealt with. And for Susie, who's dealing with this breakup, this is the hardest thing she's dealt with right now. Like it feels, that emotion feels so strong to her right now, right? Like, and and the purpose is to connect with other humans. To say like, of course I had all of the whys in my head, right? Like I was struggling with why. Why, why, why? Why would someone do this? Why would, um, why would just all the pieces, like why could someone, how could someone leave me a phone message? Because he left me a phone message on my phone, right? Um, that I had heard when I got home. My parents didn't know I had my own phone line. That was like the thing to do in high school, right? You have your own phone line. Now kids have their own cell phones. But I had this message when I got home that I heard of him saying goodbye, right? Why? Why would he say goodbye? Why would he take the time to say goodbye if he was just going to like be gone from life forever? Like I I was confused about that Mm -hmm. for sure. But overpowering the confusion was some sense of like my devastation right now and seeing my friends and their devastations in, in different ways was was um, and hearing people's stories as, as they came in. You know, yeah, they're talking about their breakup, but you hear like all the little bitty things that are also happening in their life. And you think, gosh, life is just really fragile, like for the first time in my life, I'm I'm realizing in as a junior and senior in high school, wow, life is really fragile. So the 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 typical adolescence invincibility that I had prior to this became um reworked for me, you know. My my myelination was like hardcore. There was some some new hardwiring happening that that really put me into a, a place of just believing internally that we are all on the struggle bus we are all struggling every single one of us and and maybe you just lost your dog and I lost my friend and I feel like because they were a a human being somehow that's more important but it's really not my emotion that I'm feeling right now is just as strong as your emotion that you're feeling right now in this moment right and so that that became sort of my my new spirituality even um i'm tr- i'm trying to reconcile the difference here between okay hey get over it it's been 4 months and this transformation that you're having around uh, and this wisdom i think wh- where you're able to say hey our feelings are yeah our feelings are our feelings there's no hierarchy here right uh, wh- so then i, I get uh, <laughs> what happens with your your family when you're when you're growing up in this family of the kind of hey get over it yeah. and you're having this like um there was a lot of distance yeah happening um I, I i of course i love my family they're amazing they're wonderful in all of their own ways but there was just like a okay you know and and i would i remember one conversation with my guidance counselor where she was talking and I always like loved science. So she was talking kind of scientifically to me. And she said, you know, right now, 
part of what happens when you're an adolescent is you learn who you are in one of these conversations. And um and she was and she was good about it. She was like it doesn't mean that you don't continue your relationships. Doesn't mean that you don't still love the people you love, but you learn who you are. Like and how you are within those relationships and how you are with all of those people. That's that's part of this moving into adulthood that that's happening. I also was looking at, I mean, prior to this happening, I was already like, I'm going to go to college because I'm going to do this. But I was already having some of that distance from my family. Yeah. No one in my family had graduated high school. I mean, my dad got his GED um, through the military and, and some schooling through the military, but traditionally graduated high school. Aunts, uncles, grandparents, mom, dad, older sister, nobody had graduated high school. And I was graduating high school and saying I was going to go to college. So this was already like a distance that was happening familially, you know. Um, but it, I think it certainly shaped, it, it allowed me to shape my world and, and recognizing that, hey, we really are all independent people and we all have our own choices to make. And sometimes we make good choices and sometimes we make bad choices. And this is this is a part of, of what life is. That just sounds you like know? you're questioning everything. Yeah. I mean, I really was. Um, but in the questioning, I was realizing that, like, I'm not the only one questioning this. Right. You know? I might be questioning it a little earlier than other people, which which relates then to my parenting now, right? Because I tell my kids all the time, everybody's ready at their own time. It's okay if you're not ready to ride the roller coaster or do whatever it is. Everybody's ready at their own time. It's fine. And, and that comes back to this, like, high school moment where I was like, wow, yeah, everybody's got to go through this experience. It just happens at different times, you know. And be able, being able to put that in, into some kind of structure for me was really helpful. But, but I also had a, a somewhat negative coping mechanism in that I dove into uh, the work, right? So I'm, like, working at the donut shop before school going to school, having band practice after school, doing at school, doing all this peer mentor group thing, and then like going home and working at the steakhouse at night, wow. being a waitress. So I, like, I was like, I'm going to be able to pay for school. I'm going to do this. I'm gonna, like my, my, that's where I say like, I grew my ambition. And then I had to learn how to rein it in. <laughs> but, yeah. but, you know, I, I and, and so, so, for me, I, I knew I wanted to be a music therapist. So I go to school to be a music therapist. And and I think that I really want to work in psych because I've had this experience with suicide, right? But clearly, it was way too close to me to even think about really going into like my first practicum. Our first practicum is always in, in a preschool um, just to experience music, applying music for people just as an experience um not really a therapy it's more educational based it's it's mm -hmm. just to practice but already thinking about my my next one I, you know i thought i wanted to go to psych i was gonna i was gonna be this great psycho music therapist and um my professor was like i think i think maybe you should go to therapy first you know, I have these series of wise people that are directing. Yeah, you to, right. Wow. So, um, so I start therapy because I want to be good. 
right? And if that's what it takes to be good, then then I want to do it. Yeah. Not because like I need it, right? So, <laughs> but I go. The way to do, yeah. Yeah, but I go, and and it was it was amazing. It you know again changed my world, and all of those things that I had been struggling with for years, those whys and all of that, I had that opportunity to really focus on and, and think about. And meanwhile, I'm still going to school and I'm still learning about music therapy and I learn about neurology. And my whole sciencey part of me just becomes fascinated with the brain um, and the brain and music. And I'm like, and this is, you know, this is now when neurosciences are all getting really excited about music. Yeah. And so it's it's just, it's hot. It's, it's right there, you know, it's just happening. Um, and so I, I got really into to the neurologic side of music therapy and understanding both the, neuro, the neurologic and physiologic, like just how music affects the body in, in general. Um, but as a person, I still had this, this longing to connect with people and just, just make connections. Um, and what I learned is that music is a great connector. I mean, that's look at our concerts, look at, you know, that's one of those innate things that music does for us. Um, and so the the connection sort of most of the time happens very naturally in the music therapy session. Um, and so I, I found myself really loving this world of, of neurology. And so I uh, graduated, I um, moved across the country because I knew that there was a, I, I still had an interest in, in psychology and, and music therapy and, and had taken all of the necessary psychology classes in the undergraduate program. But I knew that there was a, a psychodynamic model of music therapy that was primarily practiced in the Northeast. Right. And like down here in Texas, we're pretty behavioral and pretty, and this neurologic. We define that for people. When, what do you mean when you say psychodynamic? So um, looking more of at music therapy from a analytical perspective, from a from a humanistic, really pulling from theories in the psychology world and, and thinking about, in music therapy, thinking about the aspects of applying music to the psyche mm-hmm. um, more specifically versus applying music to the motivation or music to the um, the cognitive side of of the person versus the the inner awareness and the interpersonal relationship. So the inner inner awareness and interpersonal relationship would be the work of a psychodynamic music therapist mm-hmm. a little bit more than the work of a behavioral music therapist who's probably setting up a lot of like um, um, behavior applied behavior contingencies. Changes. And, yes, yeah, sure. yes. Um, which was where my training was, which made me a really good therapist for kids. So I got a job with kids um, and I, I worked, um, you know, I moved to the Northeast because I knew I wanted to go to, to grad school there. I wanted to learn about this other theory um, and living there, but I, could, I couldn't afford to go right away. So I was just going to live there and, and work there. So I got a job in New Jersey at a long-term acute pediatric hospital. So I worked with kids who had multiple disabilities um, m- many of them were trached, uh, had a tube in their throat to breathe. Many of them couldn't walk, couldn't speak, had developmental delay as well as a medical condition. So they were, you know, had multiple diagnoses um, that we were working with. 
and um, and the behavioral model worked well for teaching them new skills and how to cope with their disability and, and those things. And, and I got to apply a lot of the neurology, the neurologic side of music therapy and how this is going to help their brain achieve life skills. Um, but most of the work was life skills and, and, you know, can we communicate? Can we find a way to communicate? There was a lot of communicating in the music, right? There was an underlying social aspect of it because we're in the music and, and the music has an emotional pull. And in music therapy, we use patient preferred music. So in music medicine, we might apply, like I said before, they might say, you're going to listen to Mozart. Um, in music therapy, it's what kind of music do you like? I'm going to use that music. I might play it a little differently, but the essence of that music is still there so that, so that you're engaged in it. You That's want very to relational. do it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, so could we say that on that level, you're really kind of working with defenses? You're, you're, so in, in other words, kind of our shared interest in this music is helping us bond. Right. And therefore, you know, in a healing, healthy relationship, you know, really wonderful things happen yeah. that we're not having to force. Yeah. And the metaphor I tend to use here is that, you know, I don't try to pull a seed. Um, the, I don't try to pull the sprout out of the seed, right? I tend to the water and the dirt and all that. And so it sounds to me like that's what you're kind of doing. You're tending yes. to the context. Yes. And yeah. creating and the relationship flowers. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I worked in this population for a while. The, within this population, a really interesting piece in, in the New Jersey, New York area is that many of these kids would, if we were in Texas, would live at home because there's not a fourth floor story walk up to get all the machine and the carry your child and all of those things, right? So they would live at home there while they're living in this sort of nursing home type environment with more acuity than a typical geriatric nursing home. Um, so, so it's just a new world again, right? So then, so I actually personally had yet another existential crisis that I had to go with that was around um, low awareness states and, and kids that were living on ventilators with minim- that were minimally conscious um, or even in, in a persistent vegetative state that the family was keeping alive and, you know, had signed like, no, I, I don't want a DNR. I don't want, want these things um, for my child. I want them to stay alive. And then over the years, they came and visited less and less and less so that now you have, you know, a 17-year-old who's living in an institution whose family maybe comes at Christmas once a year. Because they, for them, they couldn't continue that grief process of, of being in that box. Like for them, they, they, they had to break it somewhere. They had to put up a wall. They had to have a boundary because they had other kids to care for and life had to go on. And for many of them, in talking to them later, as I grew in my therapy, Actually, as I started graduate school at Temple University, which was a very psychodynamic-based program, and started to have these kinds of conversations with family members, it became very aware that, like, in some ways, they had grieved their child's death already, knowing that they were still alive in this place, but not being able to have the guilt of saying, take them off of the ventilator. So... So this brings my world back into 
this psychological place, right? right? So now I'm working with some of the kids. I'm doing very neurologic, behavioral stuff, and it's really fun, and it's a great um, respite for me because I'm, I'm, I'm getting kids to laugh, right? And I'm hearing their voice for the first time, and I'm like seeing them walk. I had a two-year-old. I'll never forget this two-year-old. I, I started seeing him at uh, eight months old. He was born with a deformity where his legs were curled in like this. Um, and his parents had the choice of letting him, you know, main, have his limbs this way and being in a wheelchair and some different things or to have this, this surgery that was a little risky, um, but it would give him a bilateral amputation and hopefully he could use prosthetics. And they chose to do the amputation. And so he came... He came to us um, after surgery because there was a, a healing time before he could even start um, prosthetics. And, and so he didn't qualify for an intensive rehab program. Plus, he's like an infant. Like he's little, right? He's, he's just small still. Um, and I started working with him from the beginning. And I was working with him on pain management during dressing, wound dressing changes and timing it. Because as an infant, we don't have any concept of time, right? And so the idea that someone is wrapping this, this limb um, that's very painful, it feels like it's going to go on forever. But he learned that it's only going to go on for as long as Wheels on the Bus goes on. We're getting to the end of Wheels on the Bus. Sing it with me. Sing those last words. We're almost there, right? So giving him a sense of time so that he could cope with the procedure. So a lot of procedural support, pain management. But as he grew into, and so he was with us this whole time until he was two, a little after turning two. Um, and his parents were very involved, and, and they came and, and visited and you know, he had all these specialists coming to get the prosthetics ready, and he had to learn to bear weight, and he had to trust himself. And some of this was typical development because we all have to learn to trust ourselves that we can stand up and balance, right? Um, but we were doing it in the music. So so there's a motivation and maybe a, a, a redirection of attention where he's reaching for the drum that's just – just too high for him to stay sitting. He's kind of got to get up if he's going to reach that drum, right? But the song can't keep going until you hit the next beat. Like, we need the beat to sing the song. So he's got to stand up and hit the drum, right? <laughs> so so music therapy can be wow. where I'm placing the instruments to kind of make your body do the work without realizing your body's doing the work. It's a little more, more fun than your occupational therapist or your physical therapist saying, okay, reach over here. Right. Now reach over here. Um, no, instead we're playing the drum and we're singing the song and we're keeping the beat. So our body is getting in rhythm with itself. So we're becoming more efficient and our body is able to last longer. We have better endurance. We have um, just overall better achievement healing faster, all of these things. So on his two-year birthday, he gets his first set of prosthetics. And we had been working um, on, on his, you know, standing on his stubs and, and weight shifting just on, on the, the stubs with the silicone socks that would go inside of the prosthetics. I mean, tell you, like, they put the prosthetics on, and he stood up and started walking. 
Like he just in the music to the beat to happy birthday on his second birthday. It was just one of the most joyous occasions. Um, And so I was getting to do this kind of work, right? Mixed in with the work of seeing these patients that are in low awareness states and working with these families and and trying to define what I thought about the whole situation. Um, I did a lot of breath work with the patients. So one of the things that we do in music therapy is called entrainment. Entrainment is a physics phenomenon. Any any two oscillating vibrations in the world will match up if they are in close enough proximity. They'll resonate with each other. So if you if you hung um, multiple uh, clocks with pendulums in this room and you left them here in the morning, they would all be swinging together. The pendulums would all be swinging together. Um, if you put metronomes on, they would all match up. When we walk next to someone for a given length of time, we start walking on beat with them. Have you ever noticed that? Sure. Yeah. So that's that's this phenomenon of entrainment. There, we're, we are connected um, in our world. And so music, rhythmic entrainment, is the use of an external auditory source to change an internal rhythm of your body. So we often do this with heart rates, respiratory rates. Um, these, those are the two big things that we, we use entrainment for. And in this world, I was doing a lot of entrainment with these kids, but not in training to change anything about what they were doing. I was just using the technique to see if I could connect with a deeper part of them because they didn't respond when you called their name. They didn't respond when you talked to them. Some of them didn't respond to pain to pain pricks. But if but could I connect was the question. Could I could I connect with them? And so maybe I could connect with them if if I could breathe with them and if the music could breathe with them. And so I would play these different breathing techniques that we normally would use to change the breathing, but instead of changing it I would just match it and we would be there and then a sigh would come and I would mimic the sigh like hey I heard you. I heard your sigh and see if it would happen again. And was there something I could do in the music that would create the sigh, that, that would make the sigh come? Was there some connection that this kid was having in the music? And, and for some of those patients, there was great benefit. There was a connection. It got to a point where they were turning their head to find the music, you know, and we were able to bring in the physicians and say, hey, something's happening here. Like, come and look. Tell me what's going on, right? Um, by this point, I had moved to a new facility in New York City, but it was the same type of population. They had um, a larger ventilator program, so they had more kids on ventilators, and that's the floor I was assigned to. And that's what I wanted. I, I wanted to really explore this population a little bit more, and I I felt like they didn't. there wasn't much research to, to talk about you know, their experiences from even a medical side all the way through to nothing in the music therapy world at that point, right? Um, and so I, I got really passionate about that population and learning. And so I learned even more about neurology and physiology and how music connects to those things. Meanwhile, I'm doing songwriting with families to build a bond. And I'm learning about how bonds maybe, you know, these early stages of attachment theory, which I didn't know yet. 
I, I didn't know attachment theory yet, but but I I had just kind of an inclination that the bond was something. There was something in this connection in the music, but in the therapeutic relationship of the music. Because if you played a recording, you didn't have that response. There wasn't a sigh, or or a turning their head, or a you know any of these minute changes that were happening. Um, and so I uh, this became like my passion. And I really studied it, um, and music therapy grew as a field. More people got engaged. There's now actually a, a music therapy, a standardized music therapy assessment tool for awareness and disorders of consciousness. It's not standardized for pediatrics yet, but it is for adults, and it, and it looks specifically at how music can be used to help us better diagnose these low uh, awareness states. And so, and this this also was happening, you know. At this time, so I had some really incredible opportunities to learn from some of the greats in our field. Um, I, I got to work with Wendy McGee, who designed and, and standardized this assessment tool, um, and and just really kind of learned from the best. I was in the right place at the right time, and and I got lucky with it. And and I was learning about psychodynamic models, um, and I was taking some some psychology theory classes at NYU, and I was bringing all of this into my work and, and um, you know, mostly with the parents and the siblings of, of the children and doing songwriting for them to express and have a release and build a new, a new relationship, a new place with them. Um, and I was perfectly happy. I thought I would be there for the rest of my life. Um, I got married. I, I had met my husband at, at Sam when we were in undergrad and we had been dating throughout this time. We got married, we lived in New York. Life was great, right? We were just doing our thing. He was working for Macy's and then my dad got ill um, and he got, he got sick with cancer and was they, my parents moved from Louisiana to Texas, uh, back to Texas to go to MD Anderson for treatment. And it got to the point where they didn't think he was going to survive and they were saying, you should come home. So um, we were spending all this money coming back, flying back and forth, and, and we didn't have the money to do that. And we decided that it was time to just kind of move home. If my dad was only going to have a little bit of time, we need to move home pretty quickly. Um, my husband's grandfather was also uh, sick um, with cancer, and so we just felt like we needed to be here. So we move home. I get a part-time job at Dell Children's um, in, the, in the pediatric trauma team. And, um, you know, and, and we're just, we're here to be with family. Well, my dad meets the music therapist at Indy Anderson, music therapist. I, I skipped a part where my dad was like, you're going to study what? What are you doing? <laughs> um, sure. Because he's military and he's like, you're going to teach people how to tune the radio. What are you doing? Never really understood what I was doing. But that, I was okay with this by now, right? By now I was just like, you know, Dad, I love you, and you might not understand this, and that's okay, but this is what I'm going to do. I'm just going to do this. Like, this is what I want to do. Um, and, and that's just, we were just like, okay, well, I'll fine. I won't understand it, but that's okay. It's your life. I don't get a vote. That's, that's literally, that's a quote from my dad. Well, you're, you're an adult. I don't get a vote. All right. Well, there you go. <laughs> there you quote. have it. Yeah. So... So a music therapist comes in because my dad has cancer. And um, and my dad calls me and he's like, I get it. 
I didn't accept music therapy. I didn't have a music therapy session. But even just in him explaining to me what he did, I can see how that would be valuable for people. So like all these years later, suddenly there's this like something that happened that's like, okay, I get it. Yeah, what you do is really pretty cool. You know, so so my relationship with my dad then then changed. And, and my dad's world changed with cancer. Like he became more sensitive. He became more open to the grief process lasting longer than you think and all of these things, right? Um, he ended up doing really well and is in remission. So that's really exciting. Um, my, my husband's grandfather did pass away during that time. So it was still the right move for us. We still needed to be here. We needed to be here to support my mom. We needed all of these things to, to be here. Um, and I was getting to learn a new population. I was learning acute care. And I was doing trauma work, um, primarily doing trauma work. And then as I got more into the trauma work and more of my um, training in self-awareness and um, some of some of the other coping uh, mechanisms in music became apparent to the team, I started getting called up to the eating disorders clinic, um, the inpatient eating disorders um, kids. And then I started getting called over to the oncology floor for the kids with cancer. And and so it just spread and music therapy started to grow. And I, and I grew um, my love for program development and, and assessing the need and seeing where music therapy... By now, I had had all these experiences with these very different populations in music therapy that I was able to to know enough theory from different places to know where to start at least right and and really grow a program so I, I grew into a full-time position and and was really enjoying it there um, and then I got a call one morning that my brother died by suicide and um, my world was kind of like I was brought way back right like it wasn't just I mean, it was my brother. That was the the big thing. But I was filled with high school also. Like I, it was just this resurgence of the whys and the confusion. Um, but in a space where I was, I had now worked with adolescents who had been suicidal many times. I had heard them. I had done songwriting with them. I had done hope kits with them that were music-centered right? I mean, that's what I would get called for, was to, to bring hope to adolescents who are oftentimes so connected to their music. Um, I mean, that is their culture, right? And so they can express everything in the music. Um, I mean, sometimes we wouldn't speak a word. We would just come in and make music for an hour. And I'd say, okay, I'll see you tomorrow. Because it was inpatient. So they were there. They're inpatient. They're in the hospital. They're surrounded by people that are keeping them safe. I had the flexibility to say, great, great work today. I'll see you tomorrow. Not a word, right? Three or four sessions in, words start coming. We've now played this song. So we we were singing Folsom Prison. There was a kid. Great song. Great song, right? And so this this teen, I think it was 15, um, and he had cancer, but he was uh, he was he was just hopeless. He 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 didn't want to continue his treatment. He was done. It was too much for him, and he was experiencing suicidal thoughts. And um, I came in, and he didn't 
know how to play the guitar, but he had always wanted to play the guitar. And I brought a guitar and I taught him a couple chords. And I just said, let's just play. I mean, like we don't have to talk about anything. Let's just play what song. We know these four chords. What song do you want to learn? He said, Folsom Prison. I said, okay. So we, we learned Folsom Prison. The third time we're sitting there, we're in session, and we're, he's pl- he doesn't want to sing. He never wanted to sing, but he would play, and I would sing. And so I'm singing, I hear that train coming. It's rolling around the bend. I ain't seen the sunshine since I don't know when. I'm stuck at Dell Children's, and time keeps rolling off. And I just keep singing. I just set it in there. Maybe he noticed, maybe he didn't. I just kept singing. When we stop and he laughs hysterically and he's like, that's exactly it, right? So suddenly this idea of the therapeutic relationship, the rapport that's built in the music, there's a safety there. Like the music in itself owns a part of the, the session. It's like a third being. The music created the safety to express what we both knew was happening. It was, it was there. You could feel it in the room, but, but now we can say it. But we don't have to say it just like, so how do you feel today? Do you feel stuck here? Right? We just say it in the music. And so, so then it became choosing songs and analyzing the lyrics, doing lyric analysis around what he was feeling, being able to tell his story, and then building a whole CD of hope a whole CD that we performed and recorded of songs that he would listen to when he started feeling hopeless. And so this is this is music therapy. This is another experience, right? And within that, of course, I'm pulling from all of these theories and uh, the, the education that, that I have to, to help facilitate the session. Um, but but that's, that's the work. And, and I'm learning this work in a new way with acute, now I've got kids that can talk to me and say things and and we can talk about it and so I've got to brush up on my verbal skills here a little bit and you know these different things I'm learning um and and I'm doing all of this work and and I'm working with kids who who have suicidal thought and then my brother dies by suicide and um and and I, I this is another time where my family came to realize like oh right this is what you were going through. I didn't get it then, but I get it now. Um, and so there was a, a real connection back, you know, to, to the family and the importance of the bond that I had been working so much with those kids up north on creating with their family and how bonds can be reconciled and how bonds can, um, with a lot of work, can can grow into something. And so there was this opportunity for this growth to happen in the midst of of us having similar questions and whys and and these types of things. My sister has gone on to really be an advocate for suicide prevention. She does a lot of um, work. She's a QPR instructor now and um, What's QPR? Uh, question persuade. It's like the new C, it's the CPR of suicide prevention. It's, it stands for question persuade refer. It's a, a program to teach like everyday people what to do if somebody says something mm-hmm. that might indicate that they could be suicidal and there are parts of it that i'm like that's good it's better than it's better than nothing for sure it gives people a response um my own theory from practicing and developing as a music therapist i i I just i don't get into like 
someone says that they're suicidal and the first thing we do is say, well, have you thought about how you're going to kill yourself? Like that's from from that therapeutic relationship standpoint, that, that, that doesn't feel, um, that becomes my my thing, right? Now I just, I want all of your details because I want to feel safe because I'm a therapist and I have to report this and I have to, you know, whatever, whatever. I have to decide where we go from here. So it becomes on me and, and it loses some of the therapeutic relationship versus, um, you know, in the therapy session, oftentimes if someone makes a, a comment about being suicidal, I'll say, you know, there are some artists out there that have felt this way before. Do you know any of those musicians? And we'll talk about the musicians and maybe like they'll relate to them. And they'll say, yeah, you know, I mean, he or or maybe it's not a musician. Maybe it's Robin Williams. Most recently it was Robin Williams, you know. Um, Yeah, I mean, he he was so funny. And I'm I'm like that. Like, I'm pretty clever. Right. This patient is telling me I'm pretty clever. You are pretty clever. We've we've joked a lot here. And, And so they'll start just telling their story of how they got there how they got to that point. And oftentimes we'll put it in a song. We'll put it in a song. We'll write those lyrics down. We'll get them all out, right? And within that, you learn what they're really planning. Like, what is their plan? I mean, it all comes out, but it comes out naturally in the in the therapeutic relationship versus um, 21 questions just because you said you were suicidal. Now I never want to tell anybody I'm suicidal ever again because it opened this huge door of you know everything else and 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 so i think that music therapy has this nonverbal expressive component that can sometimes allow someone to express what they need to express to get themselves sort of humanistic to get themselves to to the answer um to you know in telling their story oftentimes you hear bits and pieces of hope either were there and you can go back to them, right? You can facilitate a question. Well, tell me more about, you, you mentioned Sarah. Tell me more about Sarah. Oh, Sarah, she was amazing. She was so beautiful. And I, I just loved her so much. And we had so much fun together. We would ride our bikes. We would go to this coffee place. We would do these things. Da, 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 da. Wow, you had a great relationship with Sarah. And, and talk about those relationships and what's the blockage for those relationships to happen again and put it in a song putting it in a song is really valuable there's a neurologic component to putting things in a song when we're actively engaging and making music we have a huge dopamine uh, discharge and so we know that dopamine is is a it's it's a happy hormone but it also is needed for memory and learning and so if we can connect hope and hopeful experiences in the music, we can get those dopamine discharges and we can feel that um, that impulse. And so if we can record that and we can have that, you have a CD or you have whatever, whatever it is you have um, to listen to it, MP3s, and you can pull it up anywhere, anytime, right? Like now with technology, it's on your phone and you have access to it. It's, it's better than a PRN med that you gotta go get from the pharmacy and wait for it to set in, right? I can start this right now. Even if you still take the peer in med, I can start this right now. I can put my music on. In our psych unit here, we um, we do something uh, called the Individualized Music Listening Program. So our inpatient 
music therapist is on our BERT team. When someone is getting agitated to the point that they're going to need restraint, she gets a page and she comes in with the music and that ISO principle that we were talking about before, Mm -hmm. she just does that. She comes in with her guitar. She plays loud, fast, dissonant, meeting them where they are. If they're yelling, she yells. She doesn't yell the words, but she she sing yells. You know, she gets her emo voice going, um, and and then and then she adjusts. She starts to change the music. It becomes a little bit slower and a little less dissonant, and and it keeps slowing down. And her voice changes from her her you know yelly singing to a more smooth tone, until she's singing two pitches ah almost like a sigh, right? And so then the entrainment is happening. So your heart rate is slowing. Your breath rate is slowing. You're calming down. At some point, there's usually a connection. Oh, there's somebody here with me. So this this is true of psychosis also. There's somebody here with me. Wait, I hear it in the music There's a that's repeating me. And they'll make eye contact. Once they've made eye contact, the music slows. You, you stay where they are for a minute slow down even more usually I sit down the patient will follow me and sit down they'll either lay down and go to sleep because they've just released all this adrenaline or they'll get to a point where we can actually address what triggered all of that and and come up with a better plan for next time so so she's now got a pager here um, and responds to to our patients uh, in those in those moments now there are safety uh, things that are set up and and for her you know there's always a tech there that can stand between her and the patient because she's holding a guitar there's there's more logistics around it but it's a program that we've implemented because there was the value was seen and people were like oh we need this we need this as a part of our response so that we don't have to sedate them so we don't have to restrain them so that we don't have to traumatize them with all of those things Right, that can be very traumatizing in and of itself. You've already lost so much control in the hospital. We talk about locus of control in music therapy a lot, and this idea that um, in the hospital, regardless of if you're a kid or an adult, you come in the hospital and you're stripped of a lot of your independence. You don't get to make many choices, right? The doctors, the the nurse is going to come in and take your vitals every so often. You're not going to sleep through the night. You're going to get medicine. You've got to take your medicine. You've got to do this. You have to do that. You have to, have to, have to, have to, have to. But you're used to being an independent adult. So that takes away a lot of the energy of of even adults. And so what we come in, we come in and, and we bring choice. What song do you want? As simple as what song do you But everything is choice. If you say no to music therapy, great. You just advocated for yourself. You just got to make a choice. I'll come back tomorrow. Can I check in with you tomorrow? You know, I understand today's not a day for music for you right now, but I'd love to come back and check in with you tomorrow. Usually they're okay with that. Usually by time three you check in, they're like, okay, tell me what this is about because you keep coming back, right? <laughs> but the, but also they're like, yeah, you know, I haven't heard music in like four days. I'd love to hear a song. Play me something. And then, and then that rapport automatically happens. There's a safe space in the music. 
and there's a connection in the music. And so the relationship starts to build and you're offering more and more choices and you're letting them lead you instead of coming in and saying, we're going to do music now and I'm going to play you this song and you're going to tell me how I feel, how you feel about it. You know, these types of things. Um, and, and so just in general, in terms of, of health, mental health, um, for all of the adults in the hospital, we're giving them back control. We're giving them creativity, which is the play of an adult, right? And, and within play, we, that's how we learn as kids. We talk about that all the time. Yeah, well, you go in because the it, it it seems to me we're talking about there's um, a component of the intervention that can be kind of regulating and calming and even pre- preventative at times, but I, I just imagine there's a curative component too. Sure. You know? So what happens next when you've established rapport when you've right the situation? So that's that's where you start to. So that's kind of what, where, where I was going with creativity. You build the rapport and the creativity is in the room now. It's, it's a part of what you do. It's, it's not, you're not so vulnerable. By then I've messed up at least five times. So they know I'm not a great musician. <laughs> <laughs> they know that I can play a, a, and get through a song. Um, but, you know, I, I'm not, I've, I've not practiced these songs. It's not about performing for them. That's not what it is. Like a therapeutic musician is going to practice and perform for you. I'm not going to perform for you. You just told me this song, and I looked up the chords on my iPad, and maybe I've never even played it before, but hey, let's get through it. Let's just, let's experience this song and how great this song is, right? I really flubbed up that chord, whatever Mm -hmm. it is, right? So so now the music isn't so, it's not so strange, or, or you're not feeling so vulnerable if I ask you to now make some music with me. Yeah, how Sing do you, with me. Just I I I worked with a client just yesterday, and we were drawing some conflicts, or she she was drawing a conflict, and you know I have to kind of deal with people's insecurities. Yeah, and I mean I don't I don't know anybody who at some point wasn't shamed or made to feel insecure in some way for yeah. their their creativity, you know. How do you deal with that? Almost every adult tells me my quiet, my seventh grade choir, grade choir teacher told me to just mouth the words. You know, yeah. like that's a very common right. statement. Um, so part of it is that therapeutic relationship. It's already established mm-hmm. by the time I'm gonna. I, I'm being aware of that. I'm reading you and and do I do I get the sense that you're ready for me to to take that leap and ask you to join me, give you an invitation. Part of it is that you know already that you can say no and there's no judgment in that and that's okay. So so I've already relieved you of that. You've told me no before in some way, whatever it is. No, I that's not what I meant. No, I don't like that song and I've been okay with it. So, so there's a, a clear like you can tell me no and it's going to be okay. Um, so some of it is that and just reading and, and having that relationship be there. Um, in the hospital, part of that relationship happens, I think, this is just a theory of mine, I think it gets fast forwarded because everyone else that comes in the room has like 10 minutes, 15 minutes. It's a really short interaction. We're not reimbursable. And in some ways that's bad because there aren't as many music therapists in hospitals because you got to find funding for it. But some ways that's really good because I can come in and spend an hour and a half with you 
if you need an hour and a half. If we need an hour and a half to get there, to get to that point, I can do that. And you've got nothing else to do, right? You've got nothing better to do. So there's sort of a underlying like, sure. May as well do it as many once. Let's let's go ahead. (laughs) Let's go for it. I've been sitting here for three days. I'm done with TV, whatever it is, right? Um, So some of it's that. Some of it's something new. But you, a lot of times it, it'll just be like, they'll get to a song that I don't know. Well, I don't know that one. How does it go? And they just naturally sing a little piece of it, right? Or say the words even or something like that. So we're starting to open a door of creating together. Um, you've Sometimes it's like, oh, you've told me some really amazing parts of your story. and And thank you for sharing that with me. And that must have been really hard for you. So many of the greats pull that. That's how we get good music. Can we put that in a song? Can we can we memorialize that to some extent where it's appropriate and, and where it's good to do so? Um, can we hold that? Can we create a song cycle for your journey that brings you through? These are some really hard things that you want to tell your family right now. And words just don't seem to express it. But do you think that you could write a song with me, with me, that could express it to them? You know, and, and just like, I mean, I, I bring so much of my work back to pediatrics and, and what I know, and I don't think that adults are all that different. I think we just get stripped of, of what we're allowed to think and what we're allowed to do to process. But, you know, we follow this progression <clears throat> in, in developmental psychology of uh, I do for you we do together, you do for you, or you do with my gratitude or my praise, and then you do for you, right? We do the same thing. Mm-hmm. I just I just do it with adults, and I do it in, in a grown-up way in that I'm bringing in fancy recording equipment instead of, a, you know, playful pink and green drums. Um, so I've got... Um... I've got fancy recording equipment here. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm curious. Yeah. What if <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna make me perform, aren't you? I, I think we need. But to I'm do a some. therapist, and I don't perform. <laughs> how, how do we? How do we? Um, yeah. How do we bring do music we... in? In uh, can we? I mean, yeah. you're, you're fine. You know, I'll yeah. accept your no, and we'll. You know, <laughs> can we bring some music into this conversation? Sure. And I'm. Like, why, what does that why, process look like? Why wouldn't we? You know, like, yeah. that's that's kind of where I am. Yeah, like, um, can can we, I don't know, can we just do yeah. something? So you're a musician. Yeah. You play what? What do you play? I play the guitar. You play the guitar. So I have, I have a guitar. I have another guitar over there. If oh. you want a full size, this is a three-quarter size. This has a little bit better sound. I literally, I know. It's a Martin. I, it's a mini Martin. I own a mini Taylor. Okay. I have a pick in my pocket. This you is what. You have a pick in your pocket. And we have. What else do we have? Well, so when we think about songwriting, if if a patient has is already a musician, then of course. We want them to use their musicality as part of it. As much of the the recording can be 
the patient's doing, the better. Um, because in the end, that's the, I did it for me, mm-hmm. right? We've gotten to that point. So even if, even if while we're in it, we're doing it together, and, but I'm not actually playing or singing, um, there's a value in, in that end piece being that tangible reminder that, hey, I did this for me. I did it with support, but I did this for me. I did it. It's my voice. It's my playing. So sometimes we even set them up with things like um, a ukulele mm-hmm. and teach them a, a one-finger chord or put a pentatonic scale on a xylophone and I play you know, a minor progression and they play a C pentatonic and all of a sudden we've got some jazz going, right? <laughs> so the theory, the music theory part for a therapist is – is that it's not it's it's not about composing something great but it's about making it aesthetically pleasing so that you're empowered to continue going and to not feel so vulnerable so making it successful for you um that's one of my favorites is the the xylophone um putting it in a c pentatonic and me playing in an a minor because it's so it's so natural and it's so grown up feeling grown up sounding right and it's a it's a beautiful rosewood xylophone like a real instrument it's not a it's we don't buy toy instruments or you know we 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 spend the money and get the good quality sound um and so so we would create this this opportunity uh but then we need a theme like what are we going to write about today i i want to write about create i'm I'm curious you know about I've recently been really curious about creativity and where that comes from. Yeah. You know, where, how does somebody, you know, just, that's it. Like, how does something become an intuition or a thought or a memory into a poem or a film or a song? Mm-hmm. And I don't, I want to understand more of that because uh, I'm, I'm intellectually curious, but I've also, I've also done that. You know, I've, I've been writing songs and playing music because I was like six or seven. Yeah. It's been a real factor in my life. You know, the first song I wrote was in lunch detention <laughs> about it's a girl. A good time. You know, yeah. yeah, it was about a you know, about a girl. Yeah, and it was uh, uh that was yeah. I mean, it was like an ancient you know yeah. ritual that that people have been participating in forever. And you know, I figured, well, hell, I've got nothing else to do, so I I wrote this song mm-hmm. and I sang it to her later. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And because it had that passion behind it, it was valuable. It was good. Yeah. It it sounded good. You know, you created something awesome. So creativity. Yeah. Creativity is, is is a big interest. So when you think about creativity, like, I mean, you mentioned creativity in, in songwriting. Yeah. You've mentioned creativity in drawing with a client. Yeah. Um, You've mentioned creativity and uh, parenting. Yeah. Songwriting, drawing, parenting. Where else, like, where else do you see creativity in your life? Um, everywhere. I mean, that, that's kind of the thing. It's such a central component of, of my, my driver in my life. Uh, everything from conversations, you know, the this even th- what we're doing right now coming out of the uh, you know this is spontaneous this is unplanned this is 
you know, fo following, you know, being able to follow that thread inside of yourself and allowing to give it life in some way and having a discipline that can provide the means by which you can express that thing that you're, that you're, again, you know, and I know we're going to get into this in a little bit, but that thing that's pretty immeasurable, mm -hmm. but needs some kind of form and, 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 you know, without the, the form and without the, the, the kind of tendency to be aware that I can have a I can have a means by which I can express that thing it just passes me by I mean I think every single person is creative yeah. and so when we have a discipline we can channel that creativity into something and so that's what I I think that's in uh, everything from uh, from parenting to sex to poetry you know yeah. it, it it's all of it yeah um to uh, conversations between friends um uh, a smile at somebody as they as you walk by them in the in the in the street you know there's a creative component to that um there's a connective component to that so i i think that's the 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 the, the where where being a crafts person and an artist kind of come together and you know everybody's an artist yeah not everybody really crafts their art and certainly you know related to our other comment you know certainly a lot of people squash their creativity underneath that uh, th those insecurities you know i'm not that person or i don't have that ability and i i can never i can never b bring it out so i never then create the craft yeah that was okay so We've just been talking about creativity and I've just been writing as you talked. So I have songwriting, drawing, painting, everywhere, driver in my life. Spontaneous, unplanned, discipline, expression, needs form. From parenting to sex to poetry, conversations with friends, smile on the street. Everybody's an artist. Not everyone crafts their art. Squashing creativity. Hmm. So just in writing down poignant things that you said and bringing them back to you, you may have gained some self-awareness. Mm -hmm. Not your therapist. I'm not going to ask you about that. Right. But right. in the therapy session, we might go there and we <laughs> might expound upon these things. And by expounding upon these things, we're creating lyrics. They're yeah, just I heard, coming. I heard some, some things grab me in that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And so then, so then those just become automatically the lyrics so now we've got a song we've got our words <laughs> would you would you come and uh hang out whenever i you know the muse grabs me i need, I need this <laughs> i don't i don't have this kind of back and forth when i'm when i'm writing songs that's yeah. really interesting and so then we talk about we might talk about like what does this musically feel like then to you what does creative creativity musically feel like that that's funny that you say that tends to be an issue around I, I struggle sometimes when I start kind of fiddling around with the guitar and then I, I don't, it's like, it, it doesn't get me, yeah. you know? And so that, uh, that happens a lot, I think, yeah. you know, when it doesn't, uh, it's something. And then it just kind of fizzles. Yeah. 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 So what happens in the therapy session, if, if it goes that way, is that then I grab the guitar and I say, well, does it sound more like this or more like that? So, so now I'm putting my personal something on it. Right. And I could be totally wrong, but you get to tell me no when I'm wrong. Um, 
and somewhere in there usually there's something that yeah that sounds that sounds pretty close let me see and then there's a back and forth and then there's a growth in the music right or sometimes the patient doesn't have any musical background and right. i just ask does it sound more like this or this and they get to say oh it sounded it's like the eye doctor a or b right. a or b you know and we go back and forth for a bit until i'm playing something and i just start putting the words to it so if if the if the if you have no musical background then maybe i just start offering melodies also but they're your words right so i then kind of teach you the song or you say I really like that or uh, that's not there needs to be more emphasis on this word so there's more emphasis on this word so then as a therapist I'm like there's more emphasis on that word Hmm. Hmm. okay let's come we'll come back to that you know like that word there was something about that word that really meant something to you how on the spot can you be right now can you can you do it do improvise a song can can you put something to that that we can try yeah, I mean, you I might guitar? tell you to delete it, but oh, no, that's fine. Well, either or you can play or I can play. I want to. I want to go back and forth. I want you to play something and I want to play it. Okay. I, I, so you, and then and then we can we can delete if so we you, need to. So you want me to to? Okay, we were talking yeah, about take this. Take that. The whatever whatever. We were just talking about this, so it comes to mind. Creativity, 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 oh, creating creativity. Driver in my life, come on and sing it now. Creativity, drawing, painting, parenting. Creativity everywhere I go, driving my life. Don't squash it away, bring creativity. And we just keep going. So, uh, so you heard me, and yeah. some of that was good and some of that was not so good and you get to say like okay i really like this part i didn't so much like this part or hey okay let me see the guitar let me try this yeah let me see i think it's a little better i think i can do it better no not better just uh, it's more well collaborate i like your um what was it you were doing in uh Just turn on back again till I'm listening, my friend, waiting for the time for you to sing. Yeah, that's fun. Um, God, I can't imagine how like liberating that is for people to. Um, 
to to freely be able to because I think what I'm what I'm experiencing in you know the way I write songs is kind of safe you know it's in my own space yeah and it's even you know a bit you know sitting here with you a new person to be able to kind of just scat essentially just yeah. say whatever yeah, yeah that's, it's very improvisational whew, you know there's a little anxiety there but I what I get in what we're doing here is that there's no doubt in my mind that you and I would be close will be closer as a result of sharing that kind of experience right and uh that there, there's just an intimacy there that I think is really powerful. I, 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 <laughs> I bet the people you work with are just, they adore you and they. Want... I do get um, uh, proposed to quite often. <laughs> I will say that. <laughs> well, I'm sure because people aren't. That's intimate. Yeah. I mean, so when we're so, when we're so guarded, back to this kind of insecurity thing. When we're so guarded about. Um, not you know expressing ourselves and giving life to our creativity, um, because we're all artists, right? Then, then to share that with somebody is an opening experience, yeah. and and that I think I think just kind of doing this in the moment, you know, we're then able to really reflect on how there's such a bondedness that comes with that, and yeah. so when you are willing to show yourself and there's acceptance. That's immeasurable, you know. You just right. know it in the way that it feels, and you there's an attachment. There's an attachment, mm-hmm. and there's a natural wow. there's a natural gain in in self awareness and your thoughts. So when we started this, you know, your your improvisation went well beyond. I sang only what was on the words. What were your words? Right. Because that this is about you. If it was in therapy, I'm like mimicking, right? Sure. Then I would only use your words. I wouldn't add any of my words, very few of my words. If I use them, they should be pretty neutral. Um, but then you were able to take that and go a lot deeper, mm-hmm. self-awareness-wise, what you were defining in creativity and where you were going with it. You're just thinking more, right? You're, you're bringing it back to the subject. Um, but you're developing this self-awareness the whole time and and i'm i'm just bearing witness to it and that that's one of those other immeasurables that's so important that the witnessing yeah um i taught a class on consciousness and um it was the 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 definition is kind of knowing with you know science the root being knowing con being a with so there's a with knowing and so when you're doing this in relationship, there's a withness that's happening in, as a witness. Yeah. And that becomes so powerful. Yeah. So, what, what do we got? Um, it's, it's 1220. I have a student that will be arriving sometime soon. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, well, let's close it out. Yeah. Um, I've got, I'm a little pissed that we got to close it out. We do, you know, because <laughs> um, I think there's so much more, and I, I guess that's that's great. You know, we need to kind of leave some creativity. Um, don't don't uh, don't wring the towel dry, you know. So what what little threads are still sticking out that we would need to circle back on? Um, I don't I don't know if it's so much circling back. We but we mentioned the idea of um, 
research and, and where music therapy gets stuck. Yeah. Um, why we've been around 75 years and there's still about 6,000 of us in the U.S. and hospitals. It's still kind of a fight to get into them. I am shocked because um, this is obviously such a, like I'm shocked that it isn't, that people aren't freaking out and beating on your door and trying to get you to come out and bring, yeah. bring a system into their hospitals. Yeah. I really think it's I think it's um the need for quanti- quantifying. Yeah. Well, what's you happening. said it earlier. You can't bill for it. Yeah. Mm. You can sort of. Yeah. Some there's some billing happening, uh, yeah. and there's some waiver programs that we fall into. In Texas, we get locked out of some waiver programs because we're not state recognized. Um, like the state of Texas doesn't license us and recognize that you can only be a music therapist if you are board certified or have taken this test or whatever. But I think that um, I think we're growing in our research base and we're starting to try and um, utilize some of this. I also think that mixed methods are being a little more accepted in the medical field and that's a door opener for us because a lot of this work is not quantifiable um, and you can quantify parts of it but then to really capture the essence, you need that qualitative piece. And so really looking at uh, where we're going with research. We, we're we doing research here. Um, we have a great team where and a lot of accessibility to do some of this research. So we're doing a lot of fMRI studies. We're, we're actually a, um, about to start an fMRI study for stress, to measuring stress in bone marrow transplant patients and the use of music therapy for redu- reducing that stress. There's a lot of literature out there that, that shows that music therapy reduces stress, both from biomarkers as well as perception surveys. Um, so, so it's not that we're questioning, does music therapy reduce stress? We're questioning, how does that impact the bone marrow transplant patient? Yeah, we know it reduces stress. having a ton of stress, yeah. right? So, um, so what are their outcomes look like? But, but we have to first be able to say that we... T- we truly did reduce their stress because there's not research in that population because cortisol, all of these these typical biomarkers of stress are, um, you can't measure them in this patient population because all the medications they're taking cause all of those things to be elevated. So you don't get a good picture. So we're looking at, can, can we determine that via fMRI? Yeah. Similar to what they're doing, I heard his name at Menninger Clinic, the physician, one of the psychiatrists there. Uh, uh, Stuart Udovsky? Maybe. He's doing a study on ketamine for suicide. Oh, yeah. Suicidality, and he's using fMRI to look at the, the distress pattern, the right. brain. So, similar, um, looking at the distress pattern in fMRI yeah. um, for bone marrow transplant. So, we're, we're starting to try and capture some of this. S- some of it is looking at the, the therapeutic relationship. Why is music medicine, um, music medicine can be very efficient and very good for a lot of people, but why is music medicine not as valuable for the highly acute people? That's that's anecdotal right now. Like we see that anecdotally, like my referrals are for like the really sick people. But music medicine tends to get applied to the mild, moderately sick people. So what is it about music therapy? And, you know, is it the therapeutic relationship? And how do we research that? How do we look at the value of that within within the music? 
Um, so, the, so I think research is is going to be a key um, for our field, and we're trying, you know. Um, but it's mostly clinician researchers, which means that research goes pretty slowly, right? You know. Well, how do how do people? What do you want to prop up here at the end? Like, how do people reach you, or how do it reach yeah, music so, therapy information? Um, there's, uh, you know, probably if you're really interested in finding a music therapist in the Houston area, certainly could contact me. Um, my email address is jtownsend, T O W N S E N D, dot M T B C, music therapist board certified at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And um, we've got a Gulf Coast Music Therapy Association that has a list I can access to say, yeah, there's this person in your area that's in private practice and they um, do this or that. Uh, I would encourage people to ask their physicians if if they're ever hospitalized, hey, do we have music therapy here? Because sometimes that can make a world of difference for getting things going. Yeah. Um, you know, if you want to learn more about music therapy, the our national organization's uh, website is www.musictherapy.org. Our board certification is www.cbmt certified board certification board for music therapists um, dot org. Um, and then, if you are, if anybody, I mean, our national conference is coming to Texas this year in, in just a few weeks in November. And I would encourage anyone, I, I get to be the local committee for PR. So if somebody is interested in coming just to learn about music therapy, I mean, they could contact me and I could hook them up with conference stuff. Uh, I want to share what, I get what we do. Yeah, I, I, I get so. it. I, I'm a convert. <laughs> this, uh, this conversation has been completely mind-blowing and opening. Thank you. Um, I'll, Thank I'll, you for giving me the opportunity to share because oh, that's my passion. Of course, so. and I'll I'll include all the um, all those links in yeah. the in the liner notes of yeah. the of the uh, podcast. Also, thank awesome. you.
Sunshine.